Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Roche's Omniverse. This week we have a story that features one of my favorite characters and actually one of my favorite readers. Uh, the, the character is Father Ian. The story for this week is Ma Coleman's Fairy Giant. And, you know, it's funny, as a writer, to give you just a brief view into my brain, which is a very scary place, we often get the question, where do the ideas come from? And most often, I don't know. And this is one of those cases where I really don't know. The, the genesis of the Father Ian stories and the genesis of this as a result of the series which it will eventually be more of a series right now it's just the two stories comes from the every photo tells podcast and that's who's going to be doing the reading for us this week of ma coleman's a fairy giant they post a picture a week and from that you write a story and so the picture they posted was of uh, this snowy scene uh and there was a wall and i imagined uh, that there was a cemetery on the other side of that wall and out of that I did I, I wanted to tell us a ghost story because a winter setting is a great time for a ghost story and did a little research wanted to write a story in Ireland and it just sort of snowballed from there and the the reaction to fetch which is the story that came out of that was so good and I enjoyed writing it so much that I finally decided to write the next story featuring the characters of Father Ian and Jared, his American sidekick, if you will, sort of the uh, Watson to his homes. And so uh, so I wrote this story, and I hope to write a novel uh, possibly later this year, uh, definitely next year at the latest, featuring these characters. So if you enjoy it, check out Fetch if you haven't already. It's already dropped in this podcast. In fact, I think it was episodes one and two. I hope you enjoy this story. And if you do, definitely check out Every Photo Tells. Uh, and so now uh, let's get on with Mick Bourdais' reading of Ma Coleman's Fairy Giant. Ma Coleman's Fairy Giant by Scott Roche Father Ian relaxed in his side of the confessional. It had been a light day, and for that he was thankful. The whole month since the incident at the cemetery had been hectic. A flurry of studying and phone calls to other priests he felt might see things the way he was now beginning to. His regular duties, extracurricular activities and meetings with Jared made for long days. The schoolteacher didn't know what to make of his experiences, but an intellectual interest in things he had previously not cared about was promising. During times like this, Ian was somewhat grateful his little parish was, well, little. The demands of mass and pastoral care were ones he took more seriously now than he had in years, but it still left him time for his other pursuits. The squeak of shoe leather outside brought him out of what should have been the time of prayer. He had time for a flash of guilt before a familiar voice came to him through the grate. Father, forgive me, I'm not here in the usual business. Garda Coleman? Ian was surprised. The big man came like clockwork on Thursdays. It was Monday. Go ahead, my son. He felt the confessional shift as Coleman sagged. Father, I figured this was the only place I could talk to you about this and not have anyone over here. 
I think me ma's going crazy. Ian sat forward. I'm sorry to hear that, Coleman. What can I do? Well, father, it's like the thing out at the cemetery. You know how you blessed it in honour of Caffrey's last wish. And there was nothing wrong with it, but you did it anyway. Ian nodded. Coleman just related the story he had told even his closest friends. He still didn't know if editing out what had happened was a sin or not. Go on. Well, Ma's been seeing things out in her farm. I, I know they're not there, but I'd like you to come and have a look. Maybe talk to her. Drive out what it is she's seeing. And buy me some time to get some paperwork pushed through. You're going to have her committed? Oh, that's very serious. What does she claim to be seeing? The next few seconds stretched out. Ah, giant, father. She says there's a man, nine foot tall, living out behind her barn. Of any answer he did expect, that wasn't one. It's certainly an odd story, Coleman, but is it something you want to take away her home over? Oh, there's more, and this is why I've come to you. She thinks he's one of the fur bulk. Do you know what they are? If he had been asked a few weeks ago, the answer would have been no. Since the incident at the cemetery, he'd been delving into the history of his land in a way he never had before. I do. There's not a lot known about them. Some legends say there were giants who ruled Ireland before the Tuatha de Danann. He also remembered something about people called Fomori. But the truly ancient period of Ireland's history was a right mess, thanks to his own church's activity since then. Aye, father, that's them. She thinks it's one of their descendants come back to take Ireland from the occupiers. The way the man said it made Ian think he was quoting someone. I see. Serious, indeed. Have you been out on our farm lately? Is it possible someone's out there and she's confused about who they are? Coleman shifted again. Of course I have. What sort of son do you take me for? I've seen nothing out there. So, will you go talk to her? He held out a placating hand. Of course I will, Coleman. Don't fear. I'll let you know what I think, too. He didn't think the man wanted a second opinion, but he'd give one in any case. Coleman slipped a hand under the grate. There's her address and GPS coordinates. She's off the track, you might say. Ian took the card and looked. He'd have to use his phone to find the place. I'll go and see her tomorrow. I'll tell you you're coming. And thank you, Father. Anything else you'd like to take care of before you leave? He could almost feel the nervous smile on the guard's face. It's not quite thirsty yet, Father Ian. The confessional rocked again and Garda Coleman exited. The rest of the afternoon went by at a faster pace. He called Jared as soon as he was able. The phone rang three times before the American teacher answered. Your dime. Ian smiled. Glad I could get in touch with you. Ian, good to hear from you. What's going on? We still on for the green man tonight? I'd like to, Jared, but I've got some research to do. I'm calling to see if you'd like to go with me for a drive tomorrow. Are we packing a picnic lunch? The smile was audible. This will be something of a business trip. I was approached by someone today who wants me to go and visit his mother. Uh, this is of interest to me, Hal. It's my day off, so I'm hoping there's something big here. 
Well, you could say that. Provided what I understand is true, it may be very big. This woman claims there's a giant living on our farm. One from our country's past who's here to reclaim Erin from Yanks like you. <laughs> Consider my interest piqued. I'll get a good night's sleep. I want to leave here around sunrise. The woman's farm is a good two hours drive, even in the best weather, and I'd like to have as much of the day as I can. Bring your camera, and you may want to pack a picnic lunch after all. Well, we'll make a day of it one way or another. Will do, Ian. See you at my house at sunrise. Ian hung up and began to go through his still small but growing occult library. This didn't sound like the ghosts and demons he'd been spending much of his time studying, but provided it wasn't just a case of a woman entering senility, there was a good chance this would be his second brush with the supernatural. He wanted to be ready. The rest of the night was spent in prayer and study. The next day was cold and windy. It promised to warm up as the day progressed, but Ian dressed in stout hiking trousers and a bulky grey sweater with a light turtleneck underneath. He also brought along a thick walking stick and a small black leather bag containing the sacramentals. He was ready for whatever the day brought, even if it was just a jaunt through the countryside. He pulled his small sedan to a stop outside Jared's house and saw the bespectacled teacher standing there with a wicker basket in one hand and a modern hiking staff in the other. He couldn't help but chuckle. The messenger bag slung across his back would likely hold a laptop, camera and a few books pertinent to their discussions on the day's journey. The priest smiled and shook his head. Jared opened the rear door and placed his things carefully on the back seat. Everything was in easy reach from the front, if he needed anything. Apparently satisfied with placement, he held out a finger. Back in a sec. When he returned, he was carrying a large thermos. He opened the passenger's side front door and placed it on the floorboard. I don't know about you, but I need my coffee. He climbed in and patted the thermos. I hope you have two cups. He was more of a tea drinker, but Jared was a wizard when it came to the black brew Americans were fonder of. He reached back and produced two collapsible travel cups while Ian got them on the road. He poured two generous tots. So, tell me about this giant. Coleman hadn't come to him as a confessor, so Ian didn't feel terribly odd about telling his friend some of the details. He filled the man in as he drove. So you don't think she's crazy? Jared sipped at the lightly sweetened coffee. I didn't say that. I have to meet with her and try to assess her condition as best I can, before I can be certain of her mental state. Ian, Ian! He shook his head. Someone says I'm seeing giants, and you don't automatically go, You're frickin' nuts! Ian shrugged. Well, to be sure, she could be entering the early stages of Alzheimer's. But there are certainly men around of that stature. Perhaps he's real, and he's the one who's crazy. Perhaps Coleman's mother is just lonely and buying into the story. And Coleman doesn't see the nine-foot revolutionary on his visits because... This is the reason Ian wanted to bring his friend along. The man was a first-class sceptic. Suppose he lives rough. Maybe he's off the property when Coleman visits. The man also isn't known for moving through the bracken like some ginger ninja. Jared let out a hearty laugh. <laughs> I think you've been hanging around me too much. Ginger ninja, indeed. Let's just say there are more possibilities than mythical giant and a crazy mother. Jared nodded. You're laying odds in the former, ain't you? Ian thought for a moment. 
He didn't know why precisely. Perhaps not in a gambling sort of way, more in a desperate hope, really. Nothing's happened in the last month, and you're hoping what happened then wasn't a fluke. Ian looked in the rearview mirror at the hair on his head, more silver every day. He'd been changed spiritually and physically by the run-in with the demon who had called itself a fetch. He still felt thin, though better than he had. There was truth in what Jared had said, though. He nodded. I suppose that could be it, too. I want there to be more to this world than just men and their tainted souls. Isn't that interesting enough? Oh, it is, or else I wouldn't have become a priest, but having seen what I have seen, what we've seen, I want more. A big man, or even an adult's invisible friend would be interesting enough, and I can help her, but I so hope it's more. Jared nodded. <laughs> Me too. He reached back and pulled out a notebook. I did some reading last night and a bit of writing too. What you've said would certainly jive in with the fur bulb thing, if they were still alive. Heck, most scholars think that if they lived at all, they were nothing more than pre-Bronze Age farmers. The mist of time has made them more than that, though. They may have considered themselves the kings of Erin back in the day, though they weren't kings like we like to think of them. He flipped through the pages. On a more mythological note, your Tuatha de Danon came in and took over, a lot like the English did. They stole the land from the Firbolg and the Fomori, and if either of those groups managed to survive, they'd want their land back. Your people are crazy about this island. <laughs> no crazier than you Americans are. <laughs> Fair play, he closed his books. Brief history lesson over. So, so what do we do if there is a nine-foot-tall dude living out on a property and we see him? Nothing to do, I suppose, but to report back to Coleman that his mother's not going crazy on him. If the Garda wants the man gone, he's got the resources to make it happen. If he's more than a man, though? You think he's a demon or something? Could be. Whatever he is, human or not, I hope it's peaceful and we can work things out. I'll fight, though, if I have to. Adelaide Coleman lived in a two-storey farmhouse made from the very rocks dug up to make the land workable. It looked as though it had been standing for two hundred years. Ian stopped the car and both men climbed out. A woman, as petite as her son was large, walked to them from the front door. Her white hair was cut severely short and she wore jeans and a pale blue coat to ward off the chill. Once they were close enough, she held out a hand. Good afternoon, father. Her grip was one of a person who worked the land she owned. Mrs. Coleman, this is a friend of mine, Jared Adams. She nodded to the two men. A pleasure to meet you both. Please, call me Addie. Or, or Ma Coleman, if you must. Her eyes were a lovely soft brown and held the same good humour as her sons often did. Jared shook her hand next. Ma Coleman, lovely piece of land you have here. Why, thank you, Jared. It's been in our family for quite some time. I have a few sheep and a vegetable garden. It's certainly not the working farm it once was. And the family doesn't own it all anymore. Uh, we've had to sell some of it off. She looked back at Ian with narrowed eyes. So, I guess you're here to see if I've gotten soft. He didn't know how to answer her comment. Well, really, I'm just here to see your place and perhaps have a look around. Your son has some concerns. Ah, oh, he thinks I'm daft. Come on in the house and we'll have some tea. She turned and walked back up to the stout wood door.
Ian looked at Jared and nearly laughed at the man's shrug. Cuts right to it, don't she? <laughs> like mother, like son. They went in and were welcomed by the scent of fresh baked bread and wood smoke. The house was spotless, with plenty of natural light coming in through the large windows. She took them to a small seating area. A tea service for three was set out. Once they had their drinks, she took the men's measure again. I know why you're here, father, and I do appreciate it. Your son really does care about you, Addy. She laughed. Oh, I know he does, and he worries about me being here on my own. The husband died, oh, about five years ago. I manage, but Junior wants me to move to the city, be nearer to him. Ian nearly laughed at the description of their little village as the city. He motioned to the space around them. It's clear to me you're not just managing, you have a lovely home and keep it yourself well. I just want to lay your son's concerns to rest. Jared cleared his throat. Pardon me for interrupting. I, I think the main reason he was worried was because of the person on your property. Can we meet him? Ian frowned a little at the interruption but nodded. Yes, if we could meet him, it may lay all of your son's fears to rest. Ma Coleman shrugged. Oh, you can surely have a look around. I don't mind a bit. I've some errands to run that'll take me until lunchtime. I want you to join me. It won't be fancy, but it'll stick to you. Oh, we'll be glad to. A shared lunch would give him more time to assess her. He noticed she hadn't answered Jared's question, though. About your visitor? That'll be Maun. If he lets you find him, feel free to speak to him. Fair warning, though, he doesn't care for your people. She nodded to Jared. Or mended the cloth, father. I really see him, and he doesn't get in the way. We've always kept the old ways here. I still put out a bit of milk and fresh bread outside the back door, and the wee folk always take it. Well, you probably don't approve. Ian shrugged. I have no problems with your traditions, Addy. I'm not here to judge those. Just my sanity. She winked. Ian cleared his throat and realised he was blushing. Jared stood. Thank you for the tea and your time, Mark Coleman. We'll just have a bit of a walk around the property and we'll see you in a few hours. Ian joined his friend. Yes, thanks again. Oh, pleasure. She escorted the two to the door. Again, be ever so careful. I'd hate anything to happen to you two. I don't suppose I could persuade you to just tell me so and I'm fine. You remember too well the last promise he didn't keep. I need to be as thorough as I can. Jared held out a hand to his friend, still looking at Mark Coleman. Why are you so worried? About us, I mean. She looked past them and out into the surrounding pastures. This is an old land, Jared. Some folk don't respect that the way they should. She sleeps for a dozen lifetimes and wakes hungry. We forget, but but she never does. Ian felt a chill creep along his arms. For the first time he could see a source for Coleman's worry. She came to herself again. If you boys stick to the path, you should be all right. I just don't want you to get lost. Oh, thank you for your concern, Addy. Ian turned and walked back to his car, followed by Jared. They got out their equipment and began walking towards a barn in the distance. Once they were well out of earshot, Jared broke the silence. Yeah, well, that wasn't creepy at all. Ian wanted to smile, but couldn't. She's right, though, my friend. At least when it comes to forgetting. Most of us are completely ignorant of our land and its ancient history. 
It hasn't been very well preserved, and the original inhabitants, if there were such a thing, are largely forgotten. It's a shame, really. Coming from a country where our oldest buildings still aren't as old as Mark Coleman's house, I can't really identify. The men closed in on the barn. To get to it, they had to cross a few dozen yards of greensward, dotted with mushrooms. The wind picked up and the sound of metal banging on wood almost made Ian jump out of his skin. He tightened his grip on his walking stick and his left hand crept to the St Michael's medal in his pocket. Don't do that. I don't like it when you do that. Jared's voice pipped up from behind him. Do what? Dig for your rosary. It means you're scared. He laughed weakly. I didn't realise I had a tail. He looked back to his friend. The look of horror that crossed Jared's face made him whip back around. The creature stood just eight feet away. He hadn't heard it come up. And considering it was at least nine feet tall and weighed somewhere north of 400 pounds, the amount of stealth was surprising. It wasn't a man, though it did have two arms, two legs and all the features you would expect. One unexpected set were the horns spiralling down from its temples, nearly touching the line of its jaw. The eyes were another. He couldn't put his finger on it since his brain was screaming in panic, but something in those eyes made his bowels turn to liquid. He tried to find words of prayer, but fear had wiped them from his mind. Hello, interlopers. A hand capable of palming a dinner plate rested on the hilt of a sword at its hip. Patchwork furs covered its body. The skin he could see was a dusky grey, a pallor he'd expect of the soon-to-be-dead. You were warned not to come here. It drew the sword. What happens next is on your head. The blade flicked out and the creature lunged forward. In the name of God, stop! The words exploded from Ian's mouth and his hand rocketed forth from his pocket. The rosary dangled in front of him. The creature laughed, a rusty, crackling sound. (laughs) Your trinkets don't mean anything to me. The blade twitched, parting the strands of the rosary neatly. Nor does your god's name... Ian didn't feel the same sort of evil he had from the demon. If this beast was supernatural, perhaps it wasn't evil. Still, it had stopped. Don't kill us. Please. The tip of the sword drooped a little. A priest who says please? (laughs) That's rare enough to listen to a little while longer. It gestured towards the barn. Come into my house. Let it be said... By none that Malm doesn't have a sense of hospitality. Ian and Jared walked towards the barn. The creature, Malm, followed closely behind. Ian looked over at his friend. The man looked panicked, but not in shock. Where did it come from? It just appeared. It does have a name. Now it will know yours. Father Ian McCowan. Jared Adams. Now that we have been properly introduced, please stop referring to me as though I were less than human. I may not be one, but I see my condition as an advantage. Ian nodded. Fair play, man. My apologies for any disrespect. Well, you say please, and you apologize. The church has come a long way in its brief life. The rest of the trip to the barn was made in silence. Once they arrived, Ian opened the door. 
The smell of hay and sheep was rich and pungent. He missed the scents familiar enough from his boyhood. Make yourselves comfortable. I'll know why you invaded my land before I deal with you. Ian walked to a hay bale and sat. Jared walked over beside him and squatted on his haunches. It was the American teacher who spoke first. It was my understanding that this is Ma Coleman's land. Maun, who had needed to squat to walk into the barn, closed the door behind him. I think of it as being on loan to her. His sword was back at his hip, but those massive hands with thick, cracked nails could do the job well enough. We were asked to come here to check on her health. The son, huh, meddling bugger. He's a servant to the Dwar. I could smell it on him. One of the people, perhaps, but not so should notice. The reference to those who came after the fair bulg wasn't lost on Ian. Yes, though he really does care for her, he wanted to make sure she was okay. She did report talking to mysterious giants, and such things aren't as common as they once were. Maun nodded, ram-like horns drawing Ian's eyes. As you say, fair play. My people are scarce. Your pardon, Maun. As an interloper, I'm not sure what your people are, but before you decide what to do with us, I'd like to know. Those eyes focused on Jared. Your ignorance is understandable. You've come from one of the colonies. Jared paused and then nodded. Yes, one of the colonies. We have many names. Most of them have been erased by the church. They call us Fear Bolg, men of the bag in your tongue. They call us Fomori. They also call us Sons of Lucifer, Nephilim, the Fallen Ones. All of those terms mostly wrong. It's enough for you to know that we are the rightful kings and queens of this land. We were here before you, and we will be here long after. Mound's voice had risen in volume and lowered in pitch gradually until the final phrase resonated in Ian's bones. All of those names meant something to Ian. I know a little bit of the history of the islands. I'm a son of them, after all. You lay with the Romans. Your blood is tainted. Ian nodded, although the characterization made him angry. I respectfully disagree. I'm from Ireland and my family has been here for hundreds of years. Mound's laughter was like granite boulders rubbing together. (laughs) That long then? (laughs) I'm half that old priest and I'm a young one by my people's standards. All I'm saying is that I've been told your story since I was young. I just want to know the truth. Maun's eyes bored into Ian's. It wasn't comfortable. After long seconds, he nodded. Not every word out of your mouth is a lie. Good. He sat, cross-legged. Ian could see nothing of the creature's body under those furs. Thank you. If you want to know the truth, you might start with asking the Romans. I know they have the true tales written down somewhere. 
That's their way. They take things from the people they cross, like stealing their true names. It gives them power. They hold those stories and replace them, just as changelings have done with human babies. I don't have time to set you to rights, but I can tell you this. They managed to drive us, even us, underground. We have hidden for too long. We've raised our own, passed on our stories so they will be remembered and readied for the war to take back that which is rightfully ours. Ian heard scratching and looked over to see Jared taking notes on the little spiral-bound notebook. He looked up when he realised Maun and Ian were staring at him. Some of your experience sounds familiar. If you control the language and the history, then you control the country and its people. Maun nodded. Aye, it's the way of things. Me are not too stupid. Jared grimaced. Thanks. I was just thinking, how are you going to take things back? The men and women of this land have forgotten. They rely on metal tools and what passes for knowledge. New creations will not stand against the old magic this land still possesses. Not while we still know how to use it. Ian's ears nearly pricked up at the word magic. Magic's not real, though. He realised how foolish his statement sounded when he was sitting across from some sort of creature out of a children's book. There was a laugh again. (laughs) You have made my point, priest. As long as you and yours believe it's all a bunch of drivel, the battle is over before it even begins. Jared shifted in his seat. You're just a creature of flesh and blood, right? You're not magic. Maun reached into the furs and pulled out a short knife hidden there. He drew its blade against his left thumb and red blood dripped to the dirt. He returned the knife to its home. After that, he grunted a few words in what might have been Gaelic's great-great-grandfather. Where the drops landed, grubby little humanoids, no more than six inches tall, clawed free from the dirt. They turned to their creator, bowed and ran into the shadows. I am of the land. The land is magic. We are inseparable. Ian whispered a prayer. Mound's long blade sprang free. I'll have none of those words in this space. You may find comfort in them, but they are not welcome here. Ian nodded. I can under- No, you can't. You can't possibly. You haven't hidden in barns and under hills for your whole life, quaking in fear at those words. Mount stepped forward and pressed the tip of the sword against Ian's throat. When I am done with you, I will do you the honour of allowing you to say those words to your God. If he listens to you, then perhaps he will stay my blade. There is a first time for everything. Jared's voice answered Maun. So you've killed Romans before? Maun looked from Ian to Jared and grimaced. It might have been a smile on a prettier face. (laughs) It's been too long. 
But yes. I can tell you, killing this one would be a mistake. Man pulled the sword back, but only a hair's breadth. Why? Ian felt bathed in sweat. He looked at his friend, wondering at the answer as much as this ancient creature did. Well, I have to tell you, I don't care much for the Romans either. They ain't been kind to my people. While I'm not given to violence, I can understand some of what you're feeling. This one is different, though. He really cares about you, no matter who you are or where you're from. If you've got a legitimate complaint, he'll listen to you. And moreover, he'll help you if he can. He loves those that are different from him. This is what their godling Jesus told them to do, and yet they do not. Ian started to open his mouth and correct the language. He saw Jared shake his head and kept his mouth shut. Jared shrugged. Well, this one does. I don't know why he's different. I'm beginning to think he's not alone. There may be one or two others. Who knows? All I know is by killing him, you may be killing a future friend. Man removed the sword from Ian's personal space, but it was still too close for his comfort. How can either of you help me? There's a story I've heard about a mouse and a lion. My people invented this story, so I know of it. The mouse removes a thorn from the lion's paw. Are you mice to my lion? <laughs> Man laughed again and sheathed the sword. If I let you go, you will owe me a favor and one day will prove useful. <laughs> Is that what you propose? He looked at Ian. You, Roman, do you think so too? Ian shook his head. I, I don't know. I do know Jared is right. In everything he said, I am called to love all creatures. You are created by God as much as I am. Mound snorted. You continue to say things to shock me, priest. This keeps you alive, if nothing else. I do want to help you. I can't help you to take over Ireland, but then again, you can't do a worse job running it than the English did. And at least you speak the language. That made both men laugh. I don't know what I can do, but if you kill me, I can do nothing. If I let you go, then you will go and tell your king of my existence. Then they will come for me. There was something akin to fear in Man's voice if he had read it right. I have no king but God, and few men above me would believe me if I told them about you. Man tapped his sword. There are those you believe. We are still hunted, though it is not as bad as it once was. Jared stood, rubbing at his thighs. Oh, for what it's worth, if we did tell anyone, we'd be locked up. They would think we were insane. We would owe you our lives, and I know that I would do nearly anything you ask in the future. It's only fair. I am nearly convinced. Maun pulled his knife again. Hold forth your hands. He waited while they obeyed. He sliced their palms quickly. Ian noticed that the small blade absorbed the blood in its edge like a sponge. He hissed at the pain, but it didn't last long. There was a fine scar where the cut had been, as though it had healed naturally. I accept your offer, and the blood has tied you to your promise. 
When I call on you, you must come and do whatever I ask. Ian didn't feel entirely comfortable with the idea. Fear not, Roman. I will not ask you to break promises to your godling. You are one that holds them dear. And I respect you for it. What I ask may be uncomfortable, though, so your worry is warranted to some degree. He looked at Jared. To what god do you swear allegiance? Uh, none, really. I don't believe in gods. Man's brow wrinkled even more. Don't? What? Yet you travel with the Roman. These are strange days. He looked at Ian. Can this one not see there is some of the goddess in everything? I have tried to convince him that the creator's beauty is manifest in his creation. And so far it hasn't worked. Ian couldn't believe he was on Mound's side theologically, difference in gender notwithstanding. Oh, you're enjoying this little sidebar too much. No, Mound, I don't agree there needs to be any sort of creator for a beautiful thing to exist. I understand this no more than I understand a belief in the godling Jesus. It doesn't matter, though. You are friends with this one, and your blood now binds you. Believe it or not, you would ignore it at your peril. So we can go? Ian stood. Yes. Go before I change my mind. I will think of some way for us to call this debt, even as soon as I can. There are dire days ahead for us all, so it shouldn't be difficult. Jared moved towards the door, beckoning Ian. Dire days? What does that mean? As I said, we are going to war. The Tuaha still rule this land, but their grip is weak. We will strike when the time is right, and there will be so much blood and death. I may have only spared your lives for a month at the most. Ian walked towards the door, but his legs felt disconnected. There was to be a war in a month? As near as he could understand it, the Tua represented order and civilization. Those were things he should be upholding against the chaos of the enemy. Yet he found himself indebted to a horned creature from a nightmare. Maybe it would have been better if he'd died under Mound's sword. A martyr's death would be cleaner than the road he was now on no matter how short the road was. He felt Jared pulling him out of the barn. What's the rush? Jared looked at him, jaw practically hanging open. He closed his mouth with a click. So you're just going to trust the big magical giant isn't going to change his mind? He did say he might, you know. Ian nodded and let his friend lead. They stumbled along the ground and broke into a run after a few yards. Worried about distance more than direction, they soon found themselves off the path and in the middle of a stand of trees. Ian leaned against the nearest oak and tried to catch his breath. Did that really just happen? Jared was flipping through his notebook. Well, the notes I took are all still here, so if it was a hallucination, at least it's a well-documented one. Once he felt less light-headed, Ian stood up straight. He looked around carefully. Where are we? Jared looked up from his book. We can't be any more than a mile or so from Ma's house. It's that way. 
He pointed to his right and then squinted. Or maybe it's that way. Stay on the path and you should be okay. Isn't that what Mark Coleman said? Are we lost? We can't be terrible or lost. Let's just see if we can get our bearings and find our way back. We've only been walking for a few minutes. Jared looked up into the trees. I see the sun. It's still rising since it's not noon yet. So I think if we walk towards it, we'll be walking east. Great, so which direction is Addy's house in? Ian waited and watched confusion play out in his friend's face. Aha, uh-huh. that's what I thought. Jared reached into his pocket. It's simple. We'll just call Ma Coleman. We don't have her phone number. He pulled out his own phone and flipped it open. We could use GPS, but I don't have a single bar to my name. Well, the thing is not to panic. We should keep our wits about us and we'll figure it out. Not too bad we didn't remember that when we were running for our lives from the barn. That would have been useful. Damn it, Ian. I'm the sarcastic one. The two friends shared another laugh. This one a little less strained. I think you're right, though. I remember the sun was on my left shoulder during most of the run. We keep it on our right and try to keep a straight path. If we don't find our way out of the woods, at least we can come back and try a new direction. We'll mark the trees so at least we can know where we're going. Jared tucked the notebook back into his messenger bag. Good plan. The best one we've got, I guess. He pulled out a pocket knife. I'll mark the trees. I'll go slow. The men made the trek up and back at least four times. At the end of the fifth, Ian could swear he heard talking. His first instinct was to charge ahead, but something held him back. He motioned for Jared to continue forward, but to do so quietly. The forest floor was covered in soft moss, a fact which made Ian feel less than hopeful that the way back would be easily found. This sort of moss didn't seem to be any he had seen before, and the trees looked far too old. Once they'd moved a few dozen yards further forward, the voices were discernible. Progressing as planned? This voice was distinctly male, powerful and deep. The answering voice seemed androgynous. Yes, they are convinced the humans are ready to be mown like wheat. It didn't take much, really. In fact, it's so convincing, largely, because it's almost true. Were it not for the sheer number of the vermin, we would have taken them centuries ago. And what will happen if they are successful? We have our agents in place in the church and in other areas in order to prevent that success. That end of the plan has been flawless. It is fortunate we think in terms of decades and centuries rather than days or weeks. Infiltrating the human centres of order, such as they are, couldn't be easier. If the humans need real power to defeat the Fomori once and for all, just enough will be provided for them. Very good. Ian looked back at Jared to confirm he was hearing all this. He was pleased to see the man with his notebook out, scribbling furiously. Ian wanted to see who was talking so he could describe them to Moan. He went down on elbows and knees and crept forward slowly. There was little undergrowth. In the distance he could see armoured feet and the hooves of a massive horse. Once they are defeated, we will take out the Tuaha Day as well. They have weakened more than enough to no longer be a threat. Once we regain our foothold, we can use the humans the way they used us for centuries. Ian continued moving forward. He could feel that some bugs had crawled under his shirt, but he ignored them as best he could. 
Now he could see the two figures nearly up to their waist. The armoured figure seemed little more than a child dressed in chainmail. A slim sword rode low on his left hip, and he had a helmet with a nose guard under one arm. When he got a clearer picture of the other man, he almost made his presence known. He fought the cough down and pushed back. He backed into Jared, catching his shin with the sole of his foot. The two men continued until they were back where they had started from. Ian didn't know what to say, so he said the first thing that came to his mind. There was a centaur back there. A what? A half man, half horse. You know, a centaur. I know what they are. I also know they ain't real. The sound of something large crashing through the forest came from behind them. That would probably be him now. Perhaps you'd like to discuss it. Jared looked towards where the sound originated and then back at Ian. I don't think so. Let's go. For the second time, the men ran through the woods, heedless of where they were going. The noise didn't diminish, but it didn't grow either. Tree branches snapped at Ian's face and tugged at his jacket. It felt like the very woods themselves were trying to slow them down. As he had the thought, the ground in front of them took on a steeper slope. The two men had to fall in all fours to scramble up it. Once at the top, Ian stopped, panting. Wait, wait, wait. Even in these woods, we couldn't outrun something like that. He should be on top of us already. He looked down into the depression they had climbed out of. There was no sign of their pursuers. Well, maybe it was just some guy and his horse. You were agitated. You could have seen it wrong. You nearly spit. I know what I saw. There was a centaur and an elf. Jared laughed. <laughs> an elf? And not a hobbit, then. Is now the time to be making fun? He held out his hands to the woods around them. If we weren't lost before, we surely are now. Besides, how did you feel about giants or demons more than a month ago? Jared looked to him and out to the trees a few times. Well, let's table this discussion for now and assume that what we heard is more important than who said it. And the timing of it. We just so happened to be in the right place at the right time to hear news that might be useful to someone we just left. Jared nodded. Uh, it does seem awfully cute. And I still don't entirely buy what went on back at the barn. Someone's screwing with us. I just haven't figured out how yet. Not just because you don't believe in fairy creatures. No, not just because of my lack of faith, though that is part of it. Well, let's just assume for the moment I'm beginning to see things your way. That's a small step. Lots of people are still religious, but there aren't any people who believe in the fae and that sort of thing, are there? Ian shrugged. No, not that I know of. Superstitions, to be sure, but there's a significant room between putting out a bit of bread for the brownies and running into a full-blown centaur. So if we're not really seeing those things, then who could possibly be messing with us? Why? And how? He flipped through his notebook again. The look on his face changed from concern to fear. He turned it to Ian and the priest was shocked to see the notebook was covered in gibberish. What the hell? Ian ran his fingers through his hair. What the hell indeed? The last thing that seemed real was sitting in Mark Coleman's kitchen. Everything since then had the quality of a nightmare. Could we be dreaming? Dreaming or drugged, I suppose. You think Mark Coleman drugged our tea? If so, to what end? And how could we be talking to each other? I don't like that either. Whatever they were going through, Ian was sure they were together. 
If he was dreaming, then Jared didn't seem like a part of that. He didn't seem to have that same odd air that everything else did. He was real. Solid. You're staring. Ian felt his face grow warm. <laughs> Just be glad I'm not poking you to make sure you're a person and not a phantasm. Jared shrugged. What happens in the woods stays in the woods. Poke away. Ian laughed and jabbed him on the shoulder. Let's keep trying to get back. Whatever is going on, we should be able to backtrack our path. Once we get out of these woods, we'll be okay. They began walking back the way they had come. A few broken branches gave them a general direction. And soon they were both hungry and ready to stop and take a breath. No matter how far they went or seemingly in which direction, they were stuck. They sat back down on the picnic blanket and spread out the food Jared had brought in his picnic basket. Just before he took a bite of his sandwich, he stopped. With a smooth sweep of one arm, he knocked the sandwich from Jared's hand. Jared cursed at the interruption. Hey, why'd you do that? Something occurs to me. We didn't bring the picnic with us, did we? Jared looked at the food. No. And I wouldn't have packed tuna fish. If we're where I believe we are, then eating food would be a bad idea. Think, Jared. Have you read anything in your research that can help? How could we have been transported to this place? If we're in the land of the Fae, most likely it involves a fairy ring. He snapped his fingers. Those mushrooms we walked through. We left the path before we even made it to the barn. Ian shook his head. Everything since then is at least suspect. He stood and peered at the landscape around them. It was like the lush primeval forest he imagined once stood here. It was almost too perfect. You know, it's not any darker now than it was when we started. Ian realised he was right. The quality of light was diffuse. There was no direct sunlight. And every time we've questioned our surroundings, another obstacle rears its head. He fingered the rosary in his pocket. Not so much because he was afraid, but for the focus it brought. Spirit, clear my eyes. Let me see that which lies before me. You are the revealer of all things true. Show me. It wasn't quite like a curtain parting or a dissolve like the ones you might see in the movies. Still, what he saw grew fainter, and he could make out the farmland just beyond. Son of a... Jared stood... Ian relaxed as the vista changed. It wasn't about his effort of will. A power both inside and outside of himself was at work. His chest warmed and his fingers tingled. He spoke again. Whoever or whatever you are that is shielding our eyes, confusing our senses, you are working against the creator of the universe. Come forward and let us talk. Finally, they were surrounded by Mark Coleman's farm. They had never made it to the barn, as far as he could tell. He reached into the black bag at his wrist, and his hand came out with a small vial of holy water. He removed the cap and began liberally sprinkling it in a circle. I sanctify this ground in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This space belongs to the one true God. A sound, not unlike a horse's snort, came from over one of his shoulders. At first he thought it was Jared, but it was too far away. Over there, Ian! Jared pointed at empty air. There's someone standing in that spot. Ian turned and held up the flask. Reveal yourself. We just want to talk. The air shimmered gently. 
and where it had once been empty a person stood. Ian couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. The red cloak hid any secondary sexual characteristics. Graceful but strong features were framed by fine white hair bound back from their face. The handle of some sort of sword stuck from their left shoulder within easy reach. So, talk. The voice didn't give Ian much clue as to the being's gender either. It was rich, but more of a tenor. You're responsible for our entertainments of the last hour. The person shrugged. Responsible is such a strong word. Let's say you and I hold equal responsibility. You saw what you saw, in part, because it was what you wanted to see. Are you a fairy? Jared had the notebook out again. Personal question. What I am is in between. I am not where I should be, or where my enemy wants me to be. My kind was caught in this wretched creation before your kind existed, and since then we've been called many things. That I do have in common with your experience of Maun. He's real, by the by, but hasn't been seen in these parts in Aeons. Ian had a guess as to what this person was, if not who. He'd read a few obscure manuscripts that opined about the true nature of the Fae. What is your name? Or what can we call you, at least? Call me Puck. That's fair enough, a moniker. Jared laughed. <laughs> You're Puckish enough. Ian wasn't as amused. So, Puck, what's your plan for us? I'm not given to violence. You've seen through my game, so as far as I'm concerned, you can go. Will you continue playing this game in our absence? Puck shrugged. It passes the time, and time's one thing I have plenty of. I've harmed no one and don't wish to. You've done what you needed to do for the poor widow. Let us call it even. I want you, in your guise's mound, to tell Mark Coleman you've decided to call off your war and you're moving on. Stay here if you want, but leave her be and play other games, ones that don't involve her. Puck's hand went to the sword at his back. You're using awfully strong language. I don't take kindly to people telling me what to do. Ian gambled. Michael the Archangel broke your sword once. Pray I don't bring you to his attention again. Puck's already pale face grew bone white. His hand relaxed and dropped to his side. How did you know? Ian stepped towards Puck. I wasn't entirely sure. I'm more prone to believe in angels in between worlds than I am fairy. If you live, it's because Michael didn't kill you. You aren't in hell and don't have the air of one from there. It stands to reason he would leave you weaponless, but with a reminder of what you once had. Puck drew his sword and what there was of it. The grip was similar to a claymore, and there was only two feet of blade left past the crossguard. It ended in a jagged line like shattered glass. Would that I could be rid of it. I've carried this for too long. He resheathed it. You're a wise man, Ian McCowan, and a kind one. He smiled. He has a good servant in you. Wait, 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 wait. You're an angel? Are all the legends of fairy a result of angels caught in between? Jared looked from Puck to Ian. All of them human? 
Puck smirked. That would be telling. I've done my part to spread the legends, though. Will you do as I've asked? Ian didn't want to let Puck off the hook. Puck's face soured. As I recall, there wasn't much asking. He nodded quickly. This particular joke has run its course. I will concede the field. It was Ian's turn to smile. My thanks. Puck pointed a slender finger. I want you to know this, though. Faye get at least part of their reputation from me. You have won this day, and I respect you, but this is not the last you will see of me and others like me. We don't take kindly to being upstaged. With that, Puck vanished. Ian took a few tentative steps forward and then nearly collapsed. Jared hauled him up and they made their way towards the car. I take it we won't be visiting Mark Coleman. Ian shook his head. I don't think so. I can rightly tell him his ma isn't crazy. And I hope this will be the last she sees of the giant, so there's that. And not all the way, fallen angel? Ian shrugged. That's what it sounds like. I haven't read anything conclusive about their nature, or even that they really existed. I guess I'll get to write the book. Not what I thought we'd be getting into, but in a good way. He looked to his friend. I'm like you. I kind of like to believe Faye exists, but I'm not ready for it. I'll do some digging into this phenomenon when we get home. Even a few, like Puck, could explain much of supernatural phenomenon. Why wouldn't he be in hell? Ian stopped and stood under his own power. I could give you a supposition generated in the last two minutes based on years of study, but I don't know. I like to think he's in purgatory, being purified for an ultimate reunion with the Father. I haven't given much thought to the restoration of angels, but it's worth a few thoughts now that I know they're not all evil that have fallen. Do we know that, really? I mean, we can't be sure this puck was really an angel. We've spent the last hour or so between fantasy and reality. Well, if what he said was true, we'll find out soon enough. We can add an in-between angel to the short list of supernatural beings we've found ourselves on the wrong side of. Jared made a big show of counting digits. Only two. Ian threw an arm round his friend's shoulders. For now, my friend. For now. I'm sure we can double the number if we try really hard. They limped the rest of the way to the car. Images, scents, music. These are some of the strongest triggers of the memory and imagination. Everything was so clear, making our ears tingle with glee. Take a photograph and show it to someone. Will they focus on the subject? Is it someone or some place they know? His mind was somewhere in an old temple. Is there something that catches their eye in the background? If they know nothing of the people or places within, will they imagine their own stories behind them? The lady launched herself at him as if shot from a gun, almost tackling him in the process. Is that girl smiling because she's in love, or because she's happy with her new red shoes? Is the car sitting by the road abandoned, or has the driver run out in search of his lost dog? The reason I'm here is that there has been an incident last night. 
there has been a murder. On the first Sunday of every month we'll present a photograph on this site and follow it up with two short stories inspired by it from this website, everyphototells.com.